But if you would like them afterwards, just let me know and I will send them to you. If Barry's okay. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Please welcome Barry. Thank you all. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Um, Debbie did uh, a, a great job, as she always does last week, and said there was good engagement. Um, I am the same way in terms of interactivity. So really, uh, you know, interact with me. If you have questions that come up, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, I don't want to just do a sort of a content-loaded kind of thing here. So, And, you know, it's such a, such a, we were joking, you know, what a what a topic, right? <laughs> like uh, how how could we how could we even begin to cover this? Um, so you know, I'll give it my best shot. Deb, Debbie gave it her best shot. She she really kind of laid the laid the foundation. You know, kind of set the stage for me. Uh, I always start off though, you know, acknowledging that that I I too am am, am an imperfect parent. And uh, my kids, uh, I have two girls, a uh, 20-year-old and an 18-year-old, and we just moved into the empty nest phase of our lives just as of this summer. So we're on this journey as well, have not done it perfectly, and what I share with you tonight is just sort of my little piece of life, and um, we'll join in this conversation um, together. Well, so I don't, I really don't think there's uh, one size fits all when it comes, when it comes to parenting. Um, there's no one size fits all because there, there really are no one size families. And, and what I mean by that, obviously, is not just constellation, but there's no, there's no single narrative. You all just, just as there's no, uh, clone of you, there are no clones of families. Your narrative is unique to you. Your family history uh, is unique to you. And then you join and you bring someone else's family history that's unique, and then you start this unique thing, this unique intergenerational thing going, and it continues to go. So, um, and this is really where we'll kind of shift tonight. Um, Debbie kind of focused, I think, a, a little more perhaps on, um, if, if, if I'm remembering right, we talked about uh, what she was going to do and what I was going to do. Tonight we're going to shift to us and our part in parenting. So, health starts, health starts with us. And so uh, I, I, I might make you uh, a little uncomfortable tonight. That's, that's my hope, at least. Not a lot, just, just a little. But I was thinking about that. That's, I'm not going to make you any more uncomfortable than your kids have already made you. <laughs> so we've, we've all, we're all moving into some uncomfortable territory, no matter what part of this journey that you're on. So, uh, and here's kind of how I like to language the journey. Um, how self-aware we are of our nature-nurture experience, uh, you know, so that's our, our, both our, our kind of genetic biology makeup, but then also our environment. That'll help us with our children. Wh- whether you like it or not, they inherit our generational genes and behaviors. So what informs, uh, what informs your map? The one you're using right now, or the one you have used? In practice, and then also uh, in in like belief, you know, we 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 have a map, and one of the conversation pieces tonight would be let's talk about let's talk about your map. The cool thing about this is we have generations here, so we can talk about maybe the maps you have used, the maps, and then we have other generations that the maps we're using right now, and this could be a cool potential for uh, learning for, for you all and for me. So my first question, I'll just throw it out to get the, 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 the pump primed, so to speak. What is the map, um, and you know what I mean by that? Like, what is the map that you are, when you parent, 
how do you how is it that you make the choices or when you parented how did you make the choices that you made was it um well that's what mom and dad did um how is it that you what are what's your template what are you what are you operating from so i'll throw that out so anybody wants to anybody wants to jump in Judy? Okay. Christian values, is that is that concrete enough? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't do what I. Okay. <laughs> or or what or what uh, or what our generations did, perhaps right. So we've learned what not to, what not to do. Is that kind of? Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll try to do better. And then hopefully you'll try to do better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, hopefully we can eventually get this thing closer to, you know, the right, what we would think is the perfect. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. So improve, yeah, yeah, just, just. When it comes to that, what I think is, like she said, I wish I had more information. More information? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think my parents ever thought about was like being informed by child development. Yeah. Like, we were always sort of just expected to be little grown ups. Yeah. Uh, but like your attention span isn't that long. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those kind of like, I don't know, information or knowledge about, you know, what what is. What is it? Yeah, right, right. Because it's a relatively new yeah. thing to think about. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, we Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So nice, yeah, okay. So you pulled from a lot of different, you did that, you did that work. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Right, yeah, yeah. But if it had you not, had you not been intentional about, like, that's what I mean by let's be um, intentional about, about our, our maps and, and ask these questions. Otherwise, you know, you just kind of, you do kind of sort of go on autopilot. You, you would do something, would you not? I mean, um, you know, and you would probably repeat some things, you know, that were modeled. So why not ask ourselves, and that, that's really what we're looking at tonight is, um, what, what do you want your map to be? And I have some, some thoughts, and, and hopefully we'll bring to bear, it's not the map, it's a map, and hopefully give you some, uh, 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 you know, some direction on that, because there are a lot of good, there are a lot of really good tools. So let's start with, you know, when you, when you all are talking about, you know, what sort of, what informs our map. So let's, let's just take that one piece at a time, so the nature-nurture idea. And again, it's, it's a little bit, 
manufactured because we know even more, like every day, that there's less and less a distinction, this line between nature and nurture. It's like the, the more we understand, the more these things are like totally linked. Like our biology, I'm, you know, our biology is linked to our environment. Does that make sense? So I'm talking about these things because we need to talk about them perhaps in two separate categories, but they're interconnected. So the first question is, what about, what about, what about your nature? What do you know about you? So we have these tools, you know, we have these nice, we have a lot of great tools to know about ourselves. So I listed a few of these things. Some of you all probably have done Myers-Briggs typologies. How many of you have heard of, the, yeah, everybody's, Myers-Briggs typologies um, that give you really good information about, about you uh, and about uh, your personality tendencies, those core personality traits. Um, and there's a lot of those out there. How many of you heard of the, the Enneagram is more of a spiritually integrated one, Barbara? Yeah. There's some really good, good tools to learn about your tendencies, your preferences. But now we all know that you can all, those are pretty fluid because you can also move around in those. Uh, generally speaking, there's some core things that probably aren't going to change about who we are. But on the, around the edges, certainly there are some things that we can you know, that we can, that are changeable. So what about our, so what about our nature? Uh, and then what about, like, like, we're, like, like has been said, what about our parents' nature? What do we know? You know, you talk about addiction. We know that that's generally tends to be kind of transgenerational or issues uh, like more organic kinds of issues, uh, like mental illnesses of certain kinds of mental, like schizophrenia or those those kinds of things, as well as depression and anxiety. So that's good to know about yourself and how are you doing with you. You know, because when you're talking about dealing with kids who are trying to emotionally regulate, how you're doing is a big deal, is it not? So knowing about your nature, and, and they'll push buttons, right? I mean, your buttons will be pushed. So knowing what your buttons are, knowing all this that we're going to talk about tonight, my contention is that that's a huge part of the equation. So what about your nurture? What about your nurture, your environment? Uh, you, you've probably heard this a metaphor used uh, kind of the climate idea in your family what was the what was the temperature who controlled the thermostat in terms of the in terms of the climate in the home was it was it hot or was it pretty cool were there any traumatic or pivotal events in your in both in your your family history or generationally you're talking like immigration, traumatic losses, um, anything like that that we know. Uh, there was, um, anybody heard of Duke Stanton? He was a researcher down at Spalding University for a long time. He did a lot of work with families and addiction, and he made this correlation between like uh, losses in families and, and addiction. And so... Uh, he created this, this model to help families work through, once it was identified, how the impact of this loss was felt, like you could almost see the threads, really amazing, through the generations. Uh, but you wouldn't know that necessarily unless you, unless you, you know, sort of talked about that with your family. Um, so opening up those kinds of conversations uh, about family history and things like that. So that's, that's your, any, any, yeah, any, does that make sense? Any thoughts or questions about that? Your nature, knowing about your nature and your nurture. Now health, obviously, you know, it starts, it certainly starts with us, but it transfers to them. 
and we'll never, uh, you know, we'll never be done with us. But I think, you know, by by our humility, if we um, if we take an open stance, um, and by God's grace, we can be on a, a journey of what I like to think of as like integration and wholeness versus fragmentation and like disintegration. Because any time, you know, um, any time there's, um, there, there has been any kind of damage or anything, it tends to fragment both like individually, but then also as a family. And so there's disconnection and disintegration. And we want to move in the direction uh, of wholeness. That's kind of the key phrase in any, like all the trauma work nowadays, it, the, the key term is integration, like bringing these parts. You know, when someone goes through a traumatic event, uh, a lot of times there's what we call disassociation, like somebody, uh, somebody will sort of almost, what we call sort of zone out, but that's a part, that's a part of them that's helped them cope with whatever it was. And so um, we want to reintegrate not just something that's inside somebody, but families. How, is this, how has this trauma or this problem caused, um, caused fracturing in the family? And thankfully, we do have some models. We do have some direction. And this is going to be... Um, this is a lot to put on a slide. <laughs> Hang with me for a minute. <laughs> this is overwhelming. I break all the rules I know with... With yeah yeah, I've, I've broken all the rules. But but we're gonna hang out here for just a second because it's a it's a model that I like and I want I want you to try it on if you will. Okay, so David Olson, university from the University of Minnesota, came up with this family health model that I really like, and it makes sense to me. And you can even some of y'all may have done uh, have heard of anybody heard of Prepare and Rich? It's like a marital assessment. He created the Prepare and Rich assessment. Did y'all do it? Y'all were looking like you know it. Yes, we did. You did it? Okay. Yeah, and you did it? Okay. Yeah. So it's a really, really great comprehensive like relationship assessment, and it's also just a family health model that I really, really like. Um, so hang with me while, you kind of, while we kind of look at this, because I want you to think about uh, those of you guys have done it, you already know, you know, about where you would place yourself on this. This is a map. So let's start with, um, let's start with the outside and we'll, we'll, we'll work our way in, if you will. And I'll, I'll kind of use, I'll kind of use my family as an example here just to kind of help situate us. So on the, on the, let's see, I, I got to remember my math, the y-axis, right? That's the up and down one, right? <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. The y-axis is, the flex, is flexibility. How flexible are you? How flexible are things in your family? Is it, are you highly flexible, like anything goes, or are you like inflexible and rigid, like we, we maintain? Make sense? Okay. And the x, x-axis is cohesion. So how close do you feel? Are you, are, you, are you connected? Are you disconnected? Are you disengaged? And so you can see it runs from, cohesion runs from disengaged to enmeshed, enmeshed, you know, which is, you know, is you're too much in each other's business. And the, the flexibility, I should, I should say, runs from chaotic, which is like no structure, all the way to, to rigid. So you get the idea, right? There's these, these polarities, these continuums that are operating and have operated in your family. So you can kind of plot yourself, um, and you can kind of plot yourself as to like, okay, well, growing up, I, I, we tended to be here, but now uh, we want to move towards here. And if you notice, there's zones. You see the zones? Like on the outer edges is where you tend to have, where problems tend to show up. In the extremes, for example, if you have a family that was highly flexible, like chaotic, you know, no structure, 
almost too flexible. And they also had low cohesion, like they didn't feel connected at all. There would be this sort of what, what David Olson calls this sort of chaotic disengagement. We don't, we don't feel close to each other, and there's, no, there, there's nothing binding us. So you would have, and you see it at the, uh, on the outer edges here, disengaged, there's a, the I-we balance is I, there's little closeness, there's little loyalty. Now there might be, um, there might be high independence, you know, because if you're, if you're disconnected, you're pretty much on your, pretty much on your own, right? There's not, there's not any, any of that healthy interdependence, because you're on your own and there's no structure, Does that make sense? So, for example, I'll just use, you know, to kind of bring this home and kind of anchor it. I kind of grew up in my family of origin in more of a, I would call it a, we were flexible. And, but we weren't hugely connected. We were more, I would call it, separated. So we we probably had what I would call a um, kind of a uh, flexibly separated. So generally speaking, we, we were in a we tended to be in that in that kind of healthy balanced zone. But sometimes we would slip into f- flexible disengagement, where I never really felt we didn't use a lot of feeling words. So um, and it wasn't like explicitly you know prohibited or anything. There just wasn't a lot of like, wow, you know, really appreciate you. Or you did really great, you know, like there really wasn't a lot of that sort of affirmation or, connect, or sort of emotional engagement. Um, now we knew there, there was structure, you know, growing up, there was structure. Like I knew, I knew who, I knew what the rules were and I knew... Uh, where the authority, that there was authority, so it wasn't like just, I wasn't on my own. I knew it was there, but I didn't know necessarily, I didn't feel necessarily connected. So, enter my wife. When, when, when we come together, she comes from more of a, she came from more of what would be considered a chaotically enmeshed. So it was just it was just she and her mom for a long time, and they it was just the two of them. Uh, her mom got divorced. I think let's see, it was her third marriage, and um, and then she remarried when when my wife was about uh, let's see, I think she was about thirteen, and never really uh, connected with stepdad, and so she and her mom always had this. They they were they were enmeshed. And so there wasn't an enmeshment again is that I don't know where you begin and where I end and, you know, and, and also um, there wasn't a lot of, uh, like, structure as well. So she was pretty much kind of left her own to, to her own devices. But there was conflict between her and her mom because of that, that issue uh, with enmeshment. So in enmeshed relationships, expectations are always out of whack. Does that make sense? So then we so we we come together, and we we do some of these we do some of these assessments as well, and then we want to work towards. You can see what happens is you're you're working down towards, you know, the balanced zone in in the middle there. And what I really, really like about this is that, you know, there are some uh, kind of like like I mentioned about personality. There are some things that probably at its core not going to change. What I like about this model is that, you know, our, you, our families, there are some things about our families that are probably going to be that way. Tendencies. Does that make sense? John Gottman, who's another incredible marriage researcher, describes these, and people don't like to hear it when they read his book, but 
he found this. He just watched thousands and thousands and thousands of couples. And he did the purest form of empirical research known with regard to relationships. And he found that every couple has a, what he calls a perpetual problem or, or several of those problems. Those are not like fundamentally changeable. So families have these same sort of core issues that you're going to continue to wrestle with. They're not really solvable. Kind of like, kind of like core personality issues. And so these create um, these things that we're going to continue to wrestle with. And it's likely that way with families. Does that make sense? How does that, how does that feel to hear that, though? Like, sometimes I know it's like, well, there's perpetual problems? What the heck are we doing this for? <laughs> but does that make sense? I think one of the things I like about that is it also gives us... Um, we can, we can accept some things about uh, brokenness, you know, um, and that we, on a more spiritual level, we are all in need um, of healing. You know, the cool thing about this isn't a spiritually integrated tool, but, you know, as, as believers, we sort of like, we have this other party. And that's pretty cool to think about. So, how do you, what do you think of the circumplex model? Is it, is it so scary now? Does it make sense? <laughs> is it, can you move, can you see, have you been able to kind of see where you're, see where you're at? Anybody want to, anybody want to, you know, bravely say, I think we were here? Well, yeah. Yeah. But the one big thing is that you have children who have their own personalities and they didn't read the book. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they didn't they didn't get the circumflex. They didn't get the chart. <laughs> so, That's right. So, you know, that, that makes it uh, Yeah. Flexible. I mean, you have to kind of figure so that out. Got room size so you can put them in the room. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You could read it to them while they're in the womb. I think that, yeah, right. And and how you and and so you have these kids, and then and then, but this informs how you manage those kids. Yeah, so they kids just throw it all out of whack. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else want to? You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was wondering how, how, uh, how, you know, hard it would be to see. In the middle, in the middles, that's, that's the balanced zones. That's where you want to be. So you have flexibly separated, flexibly connected, structurally separated, and structurally connected. So though, yeah. So it, it uh, again, one of the things I think about this is um, it doesn't set up this sort of ideal. Here's you know here's the here's the ideal family. We inherit a lot of things, whether that's culturally, you know, generationally, and there's some balanced zones we want to strive for, but there's not this you know there's not this perfect family. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, how do we apply this? What tools do we use, you know, to get balanced? And uh, one of the, to move forward with this, how are we doing on time? Yeah, we're doing okay. Um, I think when you think, when you, when you look back, I think culturally it's helpful to, to look at how the roles of parents uh, has evolved. And so today we have, um, and I think Debbie uh, mentioned something along these lines as well, generally speaking, you have sort of these three streams, these sort of three 
categories of, a parent, of parenting styles. And they go from authoritarian to authoritative to uh, permissive. So as you can see, you know, it's, it's just another sort of continuum. One of the things that has impressed upon me, though, as I've been doing uh, family therapy and even in my own work for 30 years, is what we have learned, t- talk about integrating what we have learned, like Barbara mentioned, is the, is the importance of this, uh, this, what we call attachment bond. You know, um, I think generationally, and if you were the exception, that's great, but generationally, kind of like what Barbara mentioned, um, children were, were, the emotions of children weren't quite as in the forefront. Uh, And we did not have, you know, this term emotional intelligence. Y'all have heard that before. That's a relatively new term, unfortunately. Like emotional intelligence. Yeah, Daniel Goldman kind of wrote the book on that, and then he's applied that to families. So, but, and then one of the, one of the approaches that I'm going to introduce you today as to how we get balanced is Gottman, John Gottman, that I mentioned earlier, also uh, wrote a book called How to Raise an Emotionally Intelligent Child. And we'll look at his, we'll look at his process in just a minute. But one of the things I think it's helpful to look at is um, the centrality of attachment, um, I think, has been uh, revolutionary. Um, kids need to know that they're physically and emotionally safe. You know, you know the, everybody's heard of the hierarchy of needs. They need to have shelter and clothing and that kind of thing. But what we've learned about like attachment stuff is you know, the need to know that they matter is just as important as whether they have food and shelter. Like, that's, it's that important. Like, the need to know that, um, that what they, you know, that, that, you are, that we are there for them uh, is also just equally as important as some of those other basic needs. And not surprisingly, that's also important in marriages. We don't stop needing attachment and to know that like, I'm, I'm here for you, you matter to me. We don't stop needing those attachment needs, you know, once we're past age three or four. But I think that, that in and of itself is, one of the, is a, a, a revolutionary thing that, that has shaped my thoughts around parenting and kind of why well, I'm going to share with you the things that I share with you tonight. You know, and you all know, families where children learn all those interpersonal skills, um, how to manage conflict, you know, what to do when they're hurt, what to do when they have hurt somebody, um, when things don't go as expected. And so we live in this broken world, but we, we can't eliminate the brokenness. Um, but as I said before, we're, we're going we're gonna to strive towards healing. Um, one of the things that I think... Um, that I've learned, and we were, to, I think, Judy, we were talking about this. That's what I meant by, uh, by presence. You're talking about an experience of just being with your family and how much that, and how much that meant. Um, so we've learned now, you know, that it's not just like more inf- kids need more information or they need to be told what to do. Um, it's awareness of these sort of emotional undercurrents. Does that make sense? That's what's underneath the instruction. It's not that we don't instruct. It's not that we don't set limits. But that's the, these emotional undercurrents are the, sort of the, what I like to describe as the soil, you know, that allows those, that instruction to sort of uh, get planted and start to grow. Because if, 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 if you're... If, you, if a child just doesn't feel, or, or teenager or whatever, that's why we see a lot, um, um, a lot of disrupted attachments even on into like, you know, teenage years, is there's not that sense of like mutual respect. One of the other sort of parenting pioneers, um, anybody here, uh, Gordon, Thomas Gordon? 
he, uh, he wrote this book called Parent Effectiveness Training. It was a whole approach, and we'll, we'll touch on his a little bit too, but he described what he calls the no-lose method or the win-win method. And one of the things I read uh, that challenged me with, with his book is, would you talk to uh, you know, a colleague the way you talk to your child when it comes to like managing conflict um, in terms of getting at that sense of respect. You know, not that they'd be understand intellectually and everything, but, but that sense of like, yeah, you know, wow. I, I don't, I don't, that really challenged me back when I read it. Like, and so if, if I was just sort of operating on these, on these auto these autopilot messages, it was really, for me, it was really more about like win-lose. Parent always wins versus like win-win. And I needed to be more empathetic about, not that I can't set limits, but I needed to understand and validate what my child was feeling so that they felt like I was more with them so that they were more likely to do what I asked them to do. Does that make sense? It's more of a. It, it's more of this sort of like team effort, uh, and, and and some parents balk at that a little bit in terms of the the uh, well structurally. If if you're on the flexibility scale, if you're more rigid, that tends to be more challenging. So yeah. Absolutely, yeah. More, that's say more about that. It's more challenging, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He uh, the 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 comment was that some children make that essentially harder to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Some days. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're we're right. We don't have all of our resources, you know. We're depleted. Yeah, this takes this takes work and intentionality. It is more work, uh, and it takes more time. Uh, when I kind of uh, started to utilize this with my kids, it was like, no, um, I'm not going to do this sort of, you know, I'm the parent, you're, but. The win-win approach was like, uh, okay, you have your needs, I have my needs. It's almost like this conversation, like, you know what? I, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't think having that whole box of cookies, you know, is good for you. So I'm not going to let you have those cookies, you know. So you're, you're mad because you want to eat that entire box of cookies. Well, yeah, yeah, I want to eat that. But I'm, I, you know, I don't want you to eat that whole box of cookies, what are we going to do about this? That was the difference for me. Was like, wait a minute, we can have this sort of, we could have this sort of shared conversation once you're de-escalated. I'm not talking about temp- temper tantrum. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which are which are things they could do if they're if they're de-escalated. If a kid, if a kid, if anybody, for that matter, is flooded emotionally, we're in fight, flight, or freeze, right? Kids just don't know how to regulate that yet. And so one of the things, if, if a kid is in, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, they're flooded, at that point, it's just about, it's just about being able to keep them safe, to self-soothe, and that kind of thing. Because they're, you know, they are physiologically not capable. If, if you or I are flooded, we're not physiologically capable of making sense. And we say and do things we don't mean. Thankfully, we, you know, we can modulate that now. But kids can't do that. They're learning how to do that. But we believe they can. And so the thing, the, the thing that was kind of jarring for me was... Uh, Let's let's try to have that conversation. Let 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 me see what it's like to have them be a a party to that conversation versus you know this is just this is what's gonna the way it's gonna be. 
Because that, that wasn't validating. Yeah. 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 Sure, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that emotional, sensing the, um, sensing the climate, sensing like the emotional temperature and where it's at. Yeah, so varying degrees of emotional intelligence and where they're at. That, and that's the other thing too, right? If you have multiple kids, obviously they're totally different and they have totally different needs. You know, my oldest, you could just, you know, look at her, you know, and she would know like, oh, okay, you know, but my youngest was like the total opposite. And there's also a sibling position thing there too. And the oldest tends to be a little, you know, Generally speaking, but mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That speaks so much louder, you know, as to, okay, even if you are flooded or getting flooded or, you know, you validated it, you named it, named it, and then you, you offer, like, this is okay to do. Yeah, yeah, I love it. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, modeling. Uh huh. Yeah, that speaks so much more loudly in terms of learning, of them learning. Yeah. What we used to do too was, um, um, like conflict management. Uh, one of the other things about you know the the circumplex model in in families like mine, where it's it's pretty. Uh, kind of uh, not completely disengaged but more separated is that conflict is not you just don't do conflict so uh, I had a hard time with conflict <laughs> and so uh, with my wife we started to not again not a perfect record but started to like intentionally have some disagreements um, you know in front of the in front of the kids to at least sh- you know, give an example of of how to how to how to have a disagreement, or you know, kind of do it in, intentionally, not with you know hot topics, but yeah, good thoughts. Thank you all. Okay, so here's what I mentioned about yeah uh, about uh, Gottman's approach. Um, if some of y'all are familiar with it, it, it um, he calls it emotion coaching. Um, and this is a quote from him. For parents, this quality of emotional intelligence, as many now call it, means being aware of your ch- children's feelings and being able to empathize, soothe, and guide them. Uh, for children who learn most lessons about emotion from their parents, thank you very much, it includes the ability to, to control impulses, delay gratification, motivate themselves, read other people's social cues, and cope with life's ups and downs. And there's been a lot, a lot of research 
uh, with regard to this in like long-term research, um, I forget the banana experiment. There's a, I should have looked that up. There's a long-term experiment they did in like 30 years later um, when they had kids who'd been in emotion coaching, they, they, did, they did a lot better at like delayed gratification and impulse control and things like that. All that emotion, emotional regulation stuff um, sets them up for success. So in, in, in his book, he, he, he kind of outlines some of what not to do, which is what we've, uh, what we've uh, a lot of what's been shown us a lot of times. And again, what, what was going on there with our parents or generationally is uh, they were just on autopilot. Uh, what were they operating from? Because parenting wasn't really, you know, uh, a science to be looked at necessarily. So uh, he noticed, Gottman noticed some of these non-emotion coaching parenting styles, which you can kind of, you can kind of anticipate. Um, dismissing, uh, disregard, trivialize negative emotions, disapproving, being critical um, of their children's display of negative feelings, reprimand or punish them for emotional expression, and laissez-faire parents who on the other end accept their children's emotions and empathize but fail to offer guidance or like set limits on the child's um, behavior. So what I like about that, again, as you can see, is it's a, it's a, it's a really well-balanced approach. Um, all right, does that make sense? Any? And he, one of the things I like about Gottman is um, he's so good at, at just kind of defining things, and, and you know, he, he just watched people. He didn't come at things with necessarily like a, a hypothesis. That's why he was kind of criticized by a lot of people in the field when he did his research because he didn't have like firm hypotheses. He's like, I'm just going to watch people. And for the marital research, he called them masters and disasters. That's why he categorized the, the couples he worked with. Um, so here's, here's Gottman's definition of, of empathy. And you know, I, you know, I mean, I know you all know the definition of empathy, but it's it's uh, it's really hard to empathize. <laughs> it's a, it's a in its most basic form, empathy is the ability to feel what another person is feeling. As empathetic parents, we see our children in tears. We can imagine ourselves in their position. We feel their pain. Watch our children stamp their feet. We can feel their frustration and anger. And put yourself. I mean, you you've been there. You know how hard is it though to empathize? When, like we're saying, you know, if you haven't, uh, if you're not good with your own emotions or emotions in general. So all that work, all that, all that work about uh, locating yourself on the circumplex model. If you grew up in a, if you grew up in a family, you know, like, like mine, where hot emotions, you know, just weren't, it just didn't happen. It's not like my parents said you can't be angry, but essentially, that was sort of the message, you know. So here's here's Gottman's uh, here's his here's his sort of five five step process, and one of the I, I just kind of keep it in my mind. One of the things that helps me with emotional regulation is just this phrase: "Name it to tame it." Y'all heard of that before? Name it to tame it. I love that. And it, it helps me, I'm kind of a simple-minded person, it helps me remember that's really the key to emotional regulation. Number one, name it. Become aware of the child's emotion. Can you name it? Like, how's your emotional vocabulary? You, you really are angry right now. So validation. And, and by the way, y'all know validation doesn't mean like sort of a, a necessarily like a condone or agreement. Does that make sense? Like validation is just giving somebody that sense that, that I, you know, you're feeling, you're feeling this right now and, and I can 
I want to validate that you're feeling that. I don't necessarily, it's not about agreement or disagreement or, or anything. I just want to validate that you're feeling that. So, and then, second, recognize the emotion as an opportunity for intimacy and teaching. I think that's a really helpful thing to think about, too. We see hot emotions, and we, we immediately, you know, if there's discomfort about that, what do we want to do? We want to stamp it down, you know, like, stop it. Like, instead of seeing, seeing that as an opportunity, uh, kind of like you're saying, for modeling. And then you enact that. And then three, just listen, listening empathetically and validating. Help the child find words. Um, y'all, everybody have one of those or seen those, the, uh, the feeling thing, the, uh, the faces? Everybody got those? Okay, good, yeah. Um, there's so many versions, you know. You can get versions of those, those faces and just put them up and help, your, help, help kids name, you know, which, which one. Uh, they don't have to know that there's primary and secondary and all that good stuff. That does, that's, that's okay. You don't have to go that far. All right. And lastly, set limits while exploring strategies uh, to solve the problem at hand. And I think of that, what's helped me with that is going back to the Gordon, Thomas Gordon stuff, the win-win approach. It does take, it, it will take longer. Um, but I, you know, I think it's worth slowing down you know, to do that, the no-lose or, or win-win approach. So, um, those of you, I, I, I did this, I think I used this example maybe when we did that a few months ago. I think a few of you were here several months back. But I wanted to give you as kind of a concrete example um, of, of, of this Gottman approach. Imagine for a moment, and I'll step back, imagine for a moment, a situation where eight-year-old William comes in from the yard looking dejected because the kids next door have refused to play with him. His dad, Bob, looks up from his paper just long enough to say, not again. Look, William, you're a big kid now, not a baby. Don't get upset every time somebody gives you the cold shoulder. Shoulder, Just forget about it. Call one of your buddies from school, read a book, watch a little TV. Because children usually believe their parents' assessments, chances are William's thinking, dad's right, I'm acting like a baby. That's why the guys next door don't want to play with me. I wonder what's wrong with me. Why can't I just forget it? Like dad says, I'm such a wimp. Nobody wants to be my friend. Now imagine William might feel how, how William might feel if his father responds differently when he comes in an emotion coaching approach. What if Bob puts down his paper, looks at his son and says, you look kind of sad, William. Tell me what's going on. If Bob listens, really listens with an open heart, perhaps William will come up with a different assessment of himself. The conversation might continue something like this. Tom and Patrick won't let me play basketball with them. I'll bet that hurts your feelings. Yeah, it did. They'd be mad, too. I can see that. There's no reason why I can't shoot baskets with them. Did you talk to them about it? Nah, I don't want to. What do you want to do? See, there's that kind of giving him... I don't know, maybe I'll just blow it off. You think that's a better idea? Yeah, because they'll probably change their minds tomorrow. I think I'll call one of my friends from school or read a book. Maybe I'll watch some TV. So you get the, you get the I just want to make it really concrete. This is a helpful example. So what do you, you know, what do you notice about the difference between those? Yeah. Is empowering, right? Like, feels respectful. Yeah. Yeah, right. There's not that inner, because kids do what we call internalization, just just by nature. They don't have that abstract thinking ability yet. They internalize stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is like meet my outrage. Right. Just join, join you. Yeah, that's a good point. I had never thought of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, anything else? Okay. So being present uh, really means what we talk about as meta-emotion, and I think we've already gone through this, how you feel about feelings. This goes back again to your family climate and back to the circumplex part about cohesion primarily. So quick review uh, of the five steps. I don't think we need to go through these again, but I want to just throw them up there again. And at the bottom, Chaim Janot, who was another really famous child psychologist, um, shared this. It's important for children to understand that their feelings aren't the problem, their misbehavior is. All feelings and all wishes are acceptable, but not all behaviors are. Therefore, it's the parent's job to set limits on acts, not wishes. So, one of the big questions I have usually is what about the structure, you know, the the y-axis? So we've talked about, you know, emotionally connecting and the bond. So one of the things that I deal with in my office pretty much every week is the structure piece, though, too. How do you do the, you know, how do you do the structure piece? Because you do need some kind of structure. And what does that need to look like? Well, with the circumplex model, you know it needs to be balanced, but it's going to look different from your, in your family than it is in mine. So here's what I usually say. Uh, have expectations. I, I like the idea of behavior planning, and what I mean by that is having some pretty concrete, like, uh, like my, one example is my kids wanted gerbils one year. So we went through the rodent phase. Anybody ever been through the rodent phase? Oh, my gosh. Don't, just don't even start. You'll go through the rats, the hamsters, and they'll eat each other. It's awful. Yeah. So we said, okay, there's, there's, some, there's some leverage there. So we created these gerbil charts where they would do, they had to do their certain behaviors when they were little, you know, and they needed to do, brush, brush their teeth, all the things you want them to do. You tap into what they're motivated for, and you create some planning around that. It's basic behavioral stuff. Now that, again, underneath is keeping in mind the bond and everything is, is that's what's underneath it. But we do have to have some structure and some expectations. And so, but you do that, obviously, which is developmentally appropriate. You don't, you don't do that with a 15-year-old. That looks differently, Right? So, but you want to increase that autonomy, right, as they go along, because that's the whole point. You want to increase that sense of autonomy and independence. That's what I mean by expectations through behavior planning, increasing autonomy as they get older. More structure early, and you gradually kind of loosen the structure as you go along, because they're supposed to be able to be independent and take care of themselves eventually even though they may come back and live with us. So, discipline. Uh, just a w- quick word about discipline. Uh, you know, this is how I think of it. I think about, so you have consequences and you have rewards. Uh, you know, consequences are more, where I think families get confused sometimes is, like, consequences are behavior stoppers. You know, and, and so you, you impose a consequence to stop a certain kind of behavior. Now, behavior starter is when you want to reward. It's like the basic positive and negative reinforcement idea. If you want a certain behavior to continue, you reward that. Does that make sense? So you have behavior stoppers and you have behavior starters. And those can all be part of, those can all be part of a plan, almost like a contract or a plan, and so I, I found that to be helpful with families that are really struggling because kids don't say it and they can't say it, but we want structure. Like, give me some structure here. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and, and again, doing all this in the context of the, all this other stuff, this bonding stuff underneath, helps that, you know, go a little better. Uh, some of the, just the last pieces here as we kind of wrap up. Uh, emotional regulation, we've kind of talked about that ar- already, about the need to de-escalate. We've talked about, you know, um, 
if 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 a kid is uh, flooded or whatever, again, really at that time, it's really just about making sure they're making sure they can um, they can de-escalate appropriately. And you can talk about that ahead of time, like like you're like you were saying, you know, this punching your pillow is okay to do. Um, assertiveness skills in conflict resolution. Like taking ownership of feelings, y'all have probably heard of, there's a lot of these really good techniques, simple techniques like um, I statements, and most people have heard of those, I statements, you know, it's this simple formula, um, you can use that over and over again with kids, it's just a simple formula where you say, uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you said that, I felt really mad, or you can flip it around and say, um, I felt mad when you said that. It's simple, but it makes a lot of difference because you're taking ownership of your feelings. You describe behavior. You can describe what someone else did. You know, when you said that, that really hit me hard. That's, that's as opposed to a you statement where you come at somebody. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have, you know. So when you make an I statement, you describe behavior, but you take ownership of how you feel. And then there's, a, there's uh, obviously some Really good resources, uh, Gottman's book, Gordon's book. And then this one, I don't know, y'all probably, I hope you've heard of this one. This is such the classic. How to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. Oh, man, yeah. And it, it has, um, Faber and Maslisch, the authors of this, they have, um, like even, it's like in, in cartoon, you know, like comic strip, like, and it's, it's really, really well done. It's been a classic forever. It's a great, great resource. And lastly, uh, this, this, is from, this is from Thomas Gordon's stuff. And um, is it 730? Am I going over or 745? Oh, 745. Okay, I don't want to keep you beyond. Uh, so this, this is Thomas. I really like his, his, and I shared this for those of you who were here months and months ago, but I really like it, so let's just take a minute to read it. Um, you and I are in a relationship which I value and want to keep. We're also two separate persons with our own individual values and needs so that we'll better know and understand what each of us values and needs. Let us always be open and honest in our communication. When you're experiencing a problem in your life, I'll try to listen with genuine acceptance and understanding in order to help you find your own solutions rather than imposing mine. I want you to be a listener for me when I need to find solutions to my problems. At those times when your behavior interferes with what I must do to get my own needs met, I'll tell you openly and honestly how your behavior affects me, trusting that you respect my needs and feelings enough to try to change the behavior that is unacceptable to me. Also, whenever some behavior of mine is unacceptable to you, I hope you'll tell me openly and honestly so I can change my behavior. When we experience conflicts in our relationship, let's agree to resolve each conflict without either of us resorting to the use of power to win at the expense of the other's losing. I respect your needs, but I also must respect my own. So let's strive to search for a solution that's acceptable to both of us. Your needs will be met, so will mine. Neither will lose. Both will win. In this way, you can continue to develop as a person through satisfying your needs, and so can I. Thus, our, ours can be a healthy relationship in which both of us can strive to become what we are capable of being, and we can continue to relate to each other with mutual respect, love, and peace. So that was Thomas Gordon. So thank you all very much. Yeah. Thanks. Any questions or, yeah, any questions or um, thoughts or anything about... Um... All right. And uh, so the slides, if you all want them, Barbara, you can send them. You guys want to look at that? <laughs> yeah. You'll definitely want the circumplex model, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I meant to, uh, Debbie, uh, Dr. Eds, Debbie Eds is back next week on social media. That's right, social media, screen time. Yeah, that's, she's going she's gonna to do that next week. And then I'm, I'm 
finishing up the last two. Uh, one is on, so Debbie's here next week. I'm here the following week on, on mental health in children specifically. And then I'll, I'll, I'll do the very last one on family uh, resiliency. There's a lot of really cool, uh, really cool stuff about r- resiliency in families. Yeah, thank you all. Appreciate your time and engagement. Yeah.